0: Good morning church. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Riverside. So glad all of you are here today. What a great day it is to be together in this place. And I want to say, start by saying happy Mother's Day to all of our moms in the room and to all of you who have been like moms in the room to so many of us. Thank you. We, uh, today's a day for a lot of us that we want to celebrate our mothers and those people, those women in our life who have been like mothers to us. And so we want to begin by saying we love you. We see you. We're grateful for you. Thank you for who you are and for all you do. Happy Mother's Day. To you, um, I also understand that, that on this day, for a lot of people, it's a, it's a difficult day. And so at the same time, I want to express that, that we understand that. And if today is a day that's hard for you, and that can be for a variety of reasons, I just want you to know that we see you too, and we understand, and we love you, and, and we are here for you. Uh, whenever I think about Mother's Day, I always think about uh, what the late Betty White once said. She said, uh, being, a, being a mother is not easy. Uh, if it were, fathers would do it. And I think she might be right about that. Um, I, know, I know in our house uh, with my kids, my kids always, they always give me a hard time. They don't do this with their mom, but they do this with me. They always give me a hard time uh, about those times in their life when, when they blame me for some injury that they incurred and so it comes up quite often and i don't know i don't know why i think they understand that it really gets to me you know they they love giving me a hard time my 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 daughter gracie who just turned 14 this weekend which just blows my mind that she's a beautiful 14-year-old girl. But anyway, she's, she's the one that probably enjoys this the most. And she still blames me to this day about something that happened over 10 years ago. And yet this is still a frequent conversation in our house. Like, I mean, it feels like every week sometimes she brings this up. She was maybe two, three years old. I can't remember exactly. And, uh, and we're on the way to see the doctor. Uh, Alicia at this point is pregnant with, with Emma. And so I don't remember much about that day. I remember it was cold. Uh, Will and Ella Grace are little, you know, two, three, four years old at this point in their lives. And so our family of four, it's almost impossible in this phase of our life to get anywhere on time. And I don't know about you, that, that, would, that drove me crazy. Like I'm the kind of person, I don't like to be late. You know, if, if, I'm, if I'm not 10 minutes early, I'm five minutes late. So it's driving me just, uh, you know, crazy that we can't get anywhere on time. And we're late for this doctor's appointment. And as we're, we're finally all in the minivan and we're driving over to see the doctor and I know we're running late. And so I tell Alicia, I'm like, hey, listen, here's what we'll do. Uh, we'll just, I'll pull up to the front door, let you get out, you go on upstairs to see the doctor, get checked in, do whatever you gotta do. I'll park the car, I'll get out the stuff, I'll get out the kids and we'll meet you up there. And she's like, great, sounds good. So we do that, I pull up, let her get out. She walks up, all great. Uh, I have to park what feels like, you know, a mile away from the front door. There's so many cars in this parking lot. And so I, I park, you know, forever away, get out of the car. I've got Gracie on one side. I'm holding her. I'm carrying my daughter. I've got Will on the other side and I'm holding Will's hand. And we're walking on this cold, snowy day across this parking lot, you know, to get into the doctor's office to go up and join Alicia and to see what's going on. Um, and we're bobbing and weaving between all these cars in the parking lot. Did and, and I mention it's cold outside, it's winter. And, and I, I still contend this was not my fault, but we're walking between cars and my foot hits a patch of black ice. No way I could have seen it. No way I could have known it was there. I hit this black ice and I slip. And when I do, I mean, it's like a cartoon, right? I'm like, my feet go up, we all fall down. And as we fall, my daughter, I'm holding Gracie in my arm, her head hits the car next to us. And now she's like bleeding, you know, blood's gushing everywhere. And I get all three kids back up and we get into the lobby of this doctor's office and I'm checking her out and I can tell, you know, I've probably, you know, damaged my daughter for life. Uh, The doctor that we're going to see is a friend of ours from church as well. So I'm like, let's just go upstairs. We'll go see Courtney. She'll know what to do, right? And we get her up there and she looks at Gracie. She's like, yeah, I think she's okay, but she's, she's going to need stitches, we can't do that here. Take her over to the children's hospital. They'll take care of her. It'll, it'll be fine. So we do, long story short, Gracie's fine, but she gets this bandage around her head that makes her look like she's coming home from you know, World War II. And uh, to this day, as she tells a story, this is the day that, that, that you know, I dropped her and she cracked her head wide open. And so I asked her the other day, because again, this is still a frequent conversation in our house. We're driving down the road. We were laughing about this story. And, and I asked her, I said, well, after all that, I said, you, you still love me, right? You know what she said? She looks at me with a smirk on her face and she says, I love you enough. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. This is what we all crave, right? We all crave love. What we really crave is unconditional love. We crave that kind of love that says, I'll love you no matter what. I'll love you if you drop me and crack my head wide open, I'll still love you, right? We, we really crave is unconditional love, but we live in a world where more often than not, what we experience is transactional love, right? This is, what, this is what we experience so often The times. Unconditional love says, I'll love you no matter what. Transactional love says, what have you done for me lately? Unconditional love says, I'll love you through the ups and downs of life. A transactional love says, I'll love you as long as you love me. But if you hurt me, I won't love you anymore. Unconditional love says, I can't love you any more than I already do. My love for you is unchanging and unchangeable. Transactional love says, my love for you is dependent on your behavior. And it can rise and fall depending on your performance. What we crave is unconditional love but if we're being honest we're just not capable of giving of living out of demonstrating this kind of unconditional love to the people around us in our life we can do this in moments maybe you've experienced this maybe you've maybe you've been on the receiving end of this or maybe you've been the one where we in a moment you were able to embody this for someone else where you were able to give someone this unconditional love we can do that in our best moments right and when we receive that, it's, it's completely overwhelming because we understand that we don't deserve it. The truth is, none of us have the capacity, have the capability to live out on a consistent and constant basis this kind of unconditional love, even though it's what we all deeply, deeply crave. It's what all of us need. It's what all of us are looking for. But the truth is, we're just simply incapable of having and living out and giving on a consistent basis this kind of unconditional love that we all crave. The truth is there's only one person that ever did it. Only one person who was ever able to consistently and constantly live out this unconditional love and share it and show it to everyone he ever encountered. And you know his name. His name was Jesus. Jesus. And we could look at a lot of stories where, where this happened in the life and ministry of Jesus, where he was able to, to embody and to share and to show this, this unconditional love that everybody craves, everybody wants. I would contend this is one of the reasons why so many people were drawn to Jesus, right? Because he was able to love them no matter what. But, but I want to share with you one of my all-time favorite stories. If you have your Bible, your Bible app on it, invite you to open up to Luke chapter 19 Luke chapter 19 this may be a familiar story to you but but I want you to lean in even if it is because I think there's an maybe a maybe an unlikely character in the story an unsung hero that that more often than not, than not goes unnoticed but I want you I want you to look for and listen for this unlikely character today Luke just so you know Luke was not one of the the 12 disciples of Jesus but he was a contemporary of Jesus and after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, Luke took it upon himself to talk to as many eyewitnesses of the life and ministry of Jesus as he could so we could write down his own story, his own gospel story, his own good news story about Jesus. He talked to the disciples. He talked to Mary, the mother of Jesus. He had all these eyewitness accounts that he took and he wrote down this story. And in fact, this story we're looking at today, Luke is the only one that gives it to us. But I want you to see this story in Luke 9:10 and see what you can discover about Jesus today. Luke 19 verse 1, let's start with this. Set the scene. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. Now, I don't want you to miss the significance of of the location here Jericho this is where Jesus is right and that may sound familiar to you Jericho is outside of Jerusalem it's not too far from Jerusalem in fact Jesus if you flip flip ahead a little bit in the story the next place Jesus goes from Jericho is Jerusalem it's not that far from Jerusalem Jericho is famous for being an oasis. It's famous for its palm trees. And in fact, if you remember the story, when Jesus leaves Jericho and goes to Jerusalem, people lay down these palm branches in front of Jesus as they sing out Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. Who knows, maybe some of these people that that I know definitely, surely follow Jesus from Jericho to Jerusalem They may have brought some of these palm branches with them from the palm trees, the famous palm trees in Jericho. If you back up into the the time before Jesus, you may remember Jericho because because Moses was leading the people of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land. As, As they got close, Joshua is now leading the people of God, and they come to Cain in the promised land. Jericho is the first city they came to. You remember this story? But the walls around Jericho are so huge. They're fortified. They have no idea how they're going to conquer the city. So so God calls Joshua, says, come here, come here, come here. Let me tell you the the battle plan. Here it is. I want you to, to walk around the city every day for six days. On the seventh day, walk around the city seven times. And then when you get done, have the priests blow their horns and then have the people shout and then watch. The walls are going to fall down. And you know what? They did. This was the battle plan. I want your prayer walk for seven days. Then I want you to end that with worship. And then I want you to watch because of your obedience, the walls fall down and they did it was awesome this is a famous city for so many reasons this is the same city another story you may remember when when Jesus was at Jericho um, there was a blind man named Bartimaeus he was blind until he met Jesus in Jericho and then Jesus healed him and gave him his sight and my guess I can't prove this but I'm guessing Bartimaeus was one of those people that followed Jesus from Jericho to Jerusalem with a palm branch in his hand Jericho, this is a city where so many stories, so many things, so many famous things happened in Scripture. And then there's this story, which you probably know as well. Luke tells us in chapter 19, verse 2, that in Jericho there was a man there whose name was Zacchaeus. And he was the chief tax collector, that's important, in the region. And he had become very rich. Now, Jesus, he attracted all sorts of people, right? Rich people, poor people, educated people, uneducated people, fishermen, and now tax collectors. All kinds of people were attracted to Jesus. Zacchaeus was drawn to Jesus. And in verse 3, Luke says, he tried to get a look at Jesus, he wanted to see Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. This is probably the part of the story that, that, that you remember, right? But this isn't the best part of the story. Verse 4. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. Zacchaeus has got two problems, right? Two problems that he has to overcome if he's going to be able to see Jesus, discover Jesus, have an encounter with Jesus. The first problem is he's short. Because he's physically short, he can't see. And the second problem is he's a tax collector. And if you didn't know, tax collectors were hated by By people, right? Like, I mean, maybe they are today too. But back then they were especially hated by people because tax collectors, Jewish tax collectors, were traitors. They had sided with the Roman government to collect taxes for the Romans, but they were able to take a little more than they were supposed to, backed by the power of the Roman army and the Roman government for themselves and pocket the cash. They got rich off their own people. They were cheaters, they were liars, they were thieves, and people hated them. So he's got two problems. Both of them make him invisible to the people. The first problem, he's short. He's short in stature. So some people just, they just honestly don't see him. They unintentionally, because he's short, look over him. Right? The second problem, he's a tax collector. And because of that, because they hate him, because they despise him, they intentionally choose to over Look him. And both of these problems make him invisible to the people around him. And Zacchaeus has been looked over and overlooked most of his life. And and I want to pause there just for a moment because I think we live in a world where this is this is true today. Where there are so many people who feel like they are being overlooked. Or maybe they've been looked over for most of their life. There are so many of our children and teenagers in this series we're in right now. It's just a phase, so don't miss it. It's all about our families and our, and our children, our teenagers being put in a position where they can, uh, they can see Jesus. We want to leverage every phase in their life to, 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 to give them an opportunity, right, to encounter Jesus. But so many of our children, this is their fear. Am I invisible? Does anybody see me? Does anybody notice me? Does anybody care? In fact, if you have kids, if you've ever been around kids, you've experienced this. Because when they're little, some of the first words you'll hear them say is what? Look at me, right? Look at what I did. Hey, watch this. Kids all the time, they want to know, are you looking at me? Do you see me? Do I have your undivided attention? What they're really asking is, do I matter? Am I invisible to you? Do you care about me? Do you have time for me? They get a little older and you'll see the same thing playing out in different ways. It's the same feeling, the same question, right? Bubbling up inside of them. But they'll say different things. They'll say things like, hey, did you see how many likes I got? <laughs> Do you see how many people are following me? Or, hey, I got, did you see who's following me now? You know, all of it is the same question. Am I invisible? Does anybody see me? Does anybody care? Do I matter? Does anybody notice me? Zacchaeus He wants to see Jesus. This man who is, for the most part, invisible in his community because of his stature and because of his sin, wants to be seen by the only person who can see him for who he really is. And the truth is Zacchaeus will do almost anything to see Jesus. Even climb a sycamore tree, which I'm pretty sure for a wealthy Jewish man was something most people would not do. He didn't care. He'll do anything to see Jesus. Verse 5, Luke says, When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus, and get this, he called him by name. I don't think that's an unimportant detail. Jesus looked up, he saw Zacchaeus, and he calls him by name. How does he know his name? I don't know. He's Jesus, right? And he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. And in this moment, if you can just imagine this, this moment in your own mind's eye, you can see Zacchaeus in that tree, hoping to catch a glimpse of Jesus. He wanted to discover Jesus that day. He never in a million years thought that Jesus had come to Jericho to discover him. But Jesus looks up, he sees him, and he calls him by name. And that is so important. And you know, you know this from your own experience, right? Right? Whenever someone you look up to, someone you respect, someone you, you, you think a lot about, you, you hold in high regard, whenever they see you and they call you by name, it communicates something to you, right? It communicates that, that, that they know you, that you're important to them, that they value you. It communicates respect, dignity, worth, all of those things. Most importantly, it communicates love. So when Jesus sees Zacchaeus and he calls him by name, in that moment, something happens for Zacchaeus That hasn't happened in a very long time. Not only was he seen, but now he's known. And how Jesus communicates value, dignity, worth, respect, and most importantly, love. In that one moment, by calling him by name, Jesus effectively says, I see you. I know you. You are not invisible to me. You matter. And without even saying the three words that matter most, He said, I love you. Luke says, Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and he took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. There it is. You hear the despise in their voices? They grumbled. But Zacchaeus didn't care. didn't care because Jesus loved Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus loved Jesus why because Jesus saw him and loved him as he was for who he was and don't miss this I don't want you to miss this sometimes we skip ahead to the end of the story but don't miss this if Zacchaeus had never changed if he had never changed Jesus would have loved him just the same why because the love that Jesus has for people it's an unconditional love Jesus wasn't saying, Hey, Zacchaeus, you got to get your act together, and then I'll love you. Zacchaeus, you got to do better, you got to be better, and then I'll love you. Zacchaeus, you got to stop cheating people, stop stealing from people, and then I'll love you. You can read the story for yourself. It's not there. The love that Jesus had for Zacchaeus. Was unconditional, And if Zacchaeus had never changed, Jesus would have loved him just the same. Why? Because there's nothing Zacchaeus had done or could ever do that would make him love him any more or any less than he already did. His love for him was perfect. And because of that, get this, it's because he loved him with that kind of love that Zacchaeus was changed immediately and eternally. Here's what happens next. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and he said this, I'm going to give half my wealth to the poor. And if I've cheated people, which he had on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. The change that happened in his heart is now demonstrated in tangible ways to his community. And Jesus said, salvation has come to this house today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham, something most people there that day would have never said was true about Zacchaeus. But Jesus said this is true about him. He's a true son of Abraham. For the son of man, the reason I came was to seek and to save those who are lost. And in the same city, in the same city where the walls once fell down through prayer and worship and obedience, now the walls are falling down once again around the heart of a man named Zacchaeus. In the same town, the same city where Jesus had once healed a blind man. Now the man who is largely invisible to his community is seen and known and loved by the only one who could see him for who he was and who he is. And it changed absolutely everything for him. So you got Jesus, you got Zacchaeus, but there's one more unlikely character in the story. Did you notice who it was? Here's my contention. Zacchaeus would have never had that encounter with Jesus that day had it not been for this unlikely character. Had it not been for this sycamore tree that was on the side of the road. This tree that elevated Zacchaeus and put him in a position, a place to give him perspective and allow him to see something he had never seen before, encounter Jesus who he had never encountered before, discover Jesus for the very First time, and it just makes me wonder who around you needs to see Jesus? Who around you can you help discover Jesus? In the last few weeks here at Riverside, we've had a couple of our young men make the decision to be baptized Aiden Lawson and Daniel Workman. And if you've been around the last you know, a little while, you've noticed that before a baptism, we, we, ask, we ask whoever it is that's getting baptized to just record a short video talking about that, that decision for them. And just so you know, I, we don't really plan out the questions like we probably should. And I didn't plan to ask this question to either Aiden or Daniel, but when we got in the room with a camera, I just, maybe the Holy Spirit prompted it, I don't know, but I did. I asked both of them, I said, who is it in your life? Who have been the spiritual influencers in your life. And if you've you've been here the last couple of weeks, you may have seen this, but I I put these two together. So I want you to hear how Daniel and Aiden responded to this question. Who's been the spiritual influencers in your life? If you would watch this short video. Some of the big spiritual influences in my life have been, you know, family and friends from church, specifically uh, the McBrides, uh, Grayson, the Bedditch's a lot of good people have been good spiritual, you know, uh, guides through my walk with Christ. So one of them's definitely Grayson because he's always there I can look to him to ask questions or anything I need in general. Another one is my granddad; I can always go to him since I was little to talk about anything that has to do with my faith or Jesus. Another one is probably Doug Bedditch because he's always been there for me since I was little. Always been there supporting me with everything I do. And then uh, Matt McBride, he's always been there for me since I was little and always been there when I need to ask him questions or always cheering me on at baseball games or anything I need. He's always there. for me. So parents, did you hear what they said? Church, did you hear who they talked about? I think this is incredibly insightful and incredibly significant and important. Parents, here's what I want you to know. And, and I've said this before. We said this in our parenting class the last couple of weeks. But I want, I want the whole church to hear this. Parents, no one has the potential to influence a kid like a parent, like a mom, like a dad. No one has the, greater, the greatest potential to influence a kid like, like you. But, in church, I want you to hear this. But a parent is not the only influence that a kid or a teenager needs. All right, this is incredibly important for us to understand on the family level, on the mom and dad level, right, on the on the parenting level. But it's also incredibly important for us to understand as a, as a church. Parents, there's no one like you that has the, the opportunity, the potential to influence a child like you do. But you're not the only influence that our kids, that our teenagers need. As you hear Daniel and, and Aiden talk about this, you get to hear about the other people in their life that get this. Watch this. That have elevated them, right? That have put them in a position. That have, that have been the tree in their life that gave them the opportunity to see Jesus, to encounter Jesus. And I'm just wondering, who needs you? to be a tree for them, to elevate them, to put them in a position to see Jesus, have an encounter with Jesus that would change their life for the rest of your life. Think about your own life. As I think about my life, I can tell you story after story of the men, the women who who along my journey have have been the tree for me, who have pointed me to Jesus, who have shown me Jesus, who have taught me about Jesus. And, and, And I don't know where I would be today. I wouldn't be here. If it hadn't been for those men, those women who took time along the way to point me to Jesus. And I'll tell you what, this is what I think we're supposed to be as a church, right? I love this image. Get this image in your head. I think this is supposed to be a place. I think we're supposed to be a people who are a bunch of trees, elevating our kids, elevating our teenagers, and putting them in a position to see and to encounter Jesus. In fact, I think the church is supposed to be a forest where our kids can climb and we can lift them up and we can elevate them to see things they have never seen before, to experience things they have never experienced before, to encounter Jesus like they never could have otherwise. And it's on us to be the tree, to elevate them, to elevate them to see Jesus. But how do you do that? How do you do that? So there's some obvious ways, right? So many of you, you do this in so many wonderful ways. Obviously, you can can teach in our classrooms and some of you do that and you do a wonderful, beautiful job of showing our kids and teaching our kids about Jesus, teaching our teenagers about Jesus, it's awesome. You can do that through mentoring our kids, our teenagers, taking them under your wing. That's a beautiful, wonderful way. But there's lots of ways. And again, I'll have to say, this church does this better than any church I've ever been around or been a part of. But so many of you, I've seen this too. This isn't like an idea that's, that's not been done. You do this. I've seen you do this. I've got stories of you doing this, of you picking up our kids after school and saying, hey, can I come get your kid and can I take them for ice cream? Can I take them to get a drink from Sonic? Hey, can I, can I come to your kid's baseball game or can I come to your kid's theater performance? Can I come watch their dance recital? And you know what's so powerful about that? You may not even think that's a big thing, but you know, when you show up for our kids and they see you, now you're in their life so that when they need you in their life, you're already there. And not only that, but now you've got the opportunity because they've seen you and they know you care to speak love and truth and guidance into their life. How do you do that? There's so many ways. The answer to that question, there's as many answers as there are people in the room. Some of you may think, man, I, I am not good with kids. I can't teach a class. I can't, I wouldn't know what to say if I took a kid out for ice cream and that's okay too. But you may think, you know what? I could sponsor a kid. You may go find Rhonda or Grace and say, hey, I don't know who needs this, but next time a kid, you know, wants to go on a retreat or a camp or a mission trip or whatever, and, and maybe for whatever reason, I don't even need to know who they are or what the, what the circumstance is. But, but if they need a, a way made for them, I'll, I'll make a way. I'll, I'll write the check. I'll provide the resources. Don't let any kid not go or not be a part of something for financial reasons. I can't, I'm not great one-on-one, but I can do this. I can make a way. Or you may say, you know what? I just want to help all of our kids. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to back the whole retreat. I'm going to back the whole mission trip. I'm going to back the whole camp. I'm going to, Rhonda, Grayson, how about this? Uh, tell me the biggest idea you have to impact kids for Jesus and let me, let me, let me back it for you. I had a friend this past week different church, different city. And, uh, and they, had a family, they had somebody email in and say, they didn't have a youth minister. How much would it cost to have a youth minister for our church? And they sent back the number and they sent back a check for the whole amount. Some of you are blessed to do that. Not everybody is. But here's the thing. Everybody can find a way to be a tree, right? Like there's no excuses. All of us can find a way to elevate somebody else. Maybe it's a kid, maybe it's a teenager, maybe it's a neighbor, but there's all of us can find a way to elevate someone, put them in a position, help them see and to experience the love of Jesus in some way. And my challenge for you today is to find that way for you. To find that way for you. To be that tree for someone and to help them have an encounter with Jesus that would change their life for the rest of their life find a way to be the tree because there's a Zacchaeus somewhere It's being overlooked and looked over and he or she's wondering if anybody cares if anybody knows if anybody sees and if you would call them by name and let them know you see them and that you care and that even more than that God sees them God knows their name and God cares it could change their life for the rest of their life. Church, if you would, let's stand. So today is um, Mother's Day. And uh, I want to say this to all the moms in the room and to all of all of you beautiful women who have been like moms to so many of us in the room. I want to say thank you. Because for a lot of us, there's moments in our life when we have encountered or experienced unconditional love It's been with our moms or it's been with those ladies in our life who have been like mothers to us. And if you've ever wondered why you love that way, if you've wondered where that comes from, I just want you to know that comes from God, that that's one of the ways God created you to to image him. And whenever you share that unconditional love with those around you or with your children, that's one of the ways That you share the unconditional love of God. And so many of us have experienced that, and we've come to learn about the unconditional love of God because of you. And I wanna say thank you. I wanna say we love you, we see you, we value you, and we appreciate you. And today, on your way out, I want you to stop by the back table if you haven't already, because we got a small piece of candy. It's not much, it's a piece of chocolate, but it's from C's candy, which should be important. I don't know why, but I asked Shirley to find these because I wanted you to know we see you. I know it's cheesy, it's Mother's Day. It's supposed to be. We see you, we love you, we value you. And this is not just for the moms in the room. This is for all the ladies in the room because we love you, we appreciate you, and we see all you do for us. And we thank you for showing us the unconditional love of God in so many ways. Challenge for the rest of us is just to catch up to you and to be able to share that same love with those around us so that we can all find a way to be a tree, to elevate those around us to see our Savior.